tonight, <clears throat> um, you know, kind of, it's strange to have to shift gears. Um, but tonight, um, I want to look at what is, what we call in history the age of the Reformation. And that's roughly, it's not quite 150 years, but it's like 1517 through 1650. Um, <clears throat> and the primary tonight, the only person we'll look at is the chief reformer, Martin Luther. Um, and <clears throat> Luther's dates are 1483 to 1546. Um, he was born in Germany, Saxony. Um, he was the son of a miner, a coal miner. Um, and he was planning, his parents wanted him to become a lawyer, and that's what he was planning to do. Um, and in 1505, he would have been, whatever that is, he'd have been about um, 22 or 21. He was walking from the village that he lived in to some nearby village, got caught out in the open in a terrific, thunderstorm um, took refuge under some tree the tree was hit and he you know was nearly killed um, <clears throat> on the road there he made a vow to Saint Anne who is the patron saint of miners um, that he would devote his life because he credited St. Anne with saving him, that he would devote his life to being a monk. And he followed through within two weeks, which was a major disappointment to his parents, but within two weeks, he joined um, an Augustinian order um, of monks became an Augustinian monk. Now Augustine lived in the late 300s into uh, 430 in Carthage, North Africa, and is considered a saint in the Catholic Church today. Saint Augustine, great great theologian, lot, wrote a lot. This is a title he's he's called. Um, doctor of the church. So he, Thomas Aquinas, a couple of other major, major scholars, theologians, writers that had a tremendous impact on all of Christianity, not just Roman Catholicism. Um, and so there were, I don't, I have no idea how many different orders of monasteries there were, but there's a bunch. And so the Augustinians would be a prominent one. Um, <clears throat> Luther quickly earned a reputation for um, 
in this monastery, he was um, unreasonably and, you know, just radically ascetic, A-S-C-E-T-I-C. Everybody knows what asceticism is basically depriving your body, punishing yourself, depriving yourself of sleep, uh, warmth, food, whatever, as a means of ridding yourself of sin, okay? Um, he was over the top and would frequently be found in his little monastery cell, passed out from cold, hunger, but also he would keep, he made a whip for himself and would, would beat, beat himself on his back, muttering, my sin, my sin, my sin, my sin. Um, and he was, he was considered um, by the abbot of the monastery, the leader. I, I mean, they were worried about him. Um, they, they, he was over the top. He was out beyond where the, the, the needle went. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> was just troubled. Um, <clears throat> again, the main thing, he was overcome all the time. He would talk about how sinful he was. Um, the abbot tried to talk to him. It didn't do a lot of good, so the, finally he decided to try another angle. He felt like if, we, if I make Luther um, just pour himself into study, scripture, theology, things like that, it'll get his mind off of you know, everything, and he will... He'll gain, he'll learn, but it will get him, get him out of this. Um, it didn't really do a lot for him other than, though, it plunged him into Scripture. Um, and he studied, he, he threw himself into study and prayer, theology, all that, in the same manner in which he did everything else. 150%. Um, this went on. Now, he would have been in this monastery clear till, well, he'd have been in there about 11 or 12 years. Um, he got to where he was a doctor um, academically um, and <clears throat> began to teach um, other younger monks um, and it wasn't until 1517, and it was um, early in the year of 1517, that he was studying the book of Romans, chapter 1. And in the book of Romans, there's the passage that talks about we're not saved by works. That's exactly what Luther had been trying to be saved by. B 
feeding himself, starving himself, refusing to sleep with a blanket, um, just, and, and it had never given him relief, peace, nothing. And he, he read the words, we're not saved by works and so forth, but it says the just man, the just person, one, the person who's right with God, lives by faith. All of his study and so forth seemed literally to just come into a laser focus on that verse and it hit him. All I've been trying to do to earn salvation and punish myself to drive out sin has not worked. I see that faith in Jesus as the atonement for sin is the only way to be freed from the guilt of sin, forgiveness coming into my heart, so forth. Um, and <clears throat> he later said it was just like he felt like just a shaft of daylight shown on that page of the just shall live by faith. Um, that was the moment that he recognized, well, light flooded his heart and he realized we're saved by faith in Christ, okay? Um, he began then <clears throat> fairly quickly getting your eyes open spiritually you're going to start seeing pretty quickly um, truth and error. And he began soon <clears throat> to question the whole business of the structure, the hierarchy of the church, the pope, um, the indulgences, which I'll mention again in a minute, um, and basically, here's what he began to write and speak and teach against. I think I mentioned this last week, so I don't need to go into it a lot. Basically, um, God sent his son, Jesus, and it's very clear, to be a mediator between man, sinful man, and a righteous God. And Jesus clothed himself with human flesh, lived among us, taught and preached and so forth, crucified, dead, buried, rose from the dead, and he is the mediator, okay? I come to, when I pray, Jesus said, you pray in my name. So when we pray to our Father in heaven, we pray through Christ. He's the only access we have to the Father, is through the Son, okay? Now, the problem with all of the medieval church, the church had very gradually but very steadily inserted itself and the priesthood and all the hierarchy in place of Jesus so that the church now was the mediator. The church forgave you. The church proclaimed whether you could be forgiven. Um, and you, they spelled out what you had to do to meet their conditions for them to tell you that you were forgiven. Okay? Um, and they, so Jesus was just pushed off to the side, in a sense. That began to eat at him. And the more he read the Scripture, the more he studied the Scripture, the more issues he 
was against. So, um, he wrote what is called today his 95 theses, okay? 95 theses meant in that day. It was a, um, it was a challenge to debate among scholars at um, Wittenberg, Germany, University of Wittenberg. It was a challenge um, to a debate. It would have been done in Latin. The local congreg- or you know, the local farmers couldn't have cared less. Wouldn't know anything about it. It was a a real narrow little you know niche that would even care. But it was a challenge, a scholarly challenge to a scholarly debate over these particular 95 issues he had with he felt the church had gone off, gotten off the rails. Okay. Um, and he attached that to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg. And um, there, were, there was a specific um, invention that had come along that this wasn't the first challenge to the church. It was the first challenge to debate. Last week we talked about three people that a um, hundred years earlier challenged the church on the same things Luther ended up challenging, but they all got burned at the stake and, and the reform went nowhere. One reason that, there's three, but I'll give you one now. One of the reasons that this took off is because the Gutenberg printing press, okay, now, the first thing that Gutenberg, um, this was in about 1450 or 48 or somewhere in there, um, that the printing press was invented, though it had been about 150 years before that in China, but nevertheless. The first thing Gutenberg printed was a Bible. Um, and not long after that, it wasn't used very much. I mean, it was so new, and and everyone was a hand copier. A lot of the monks, that's all they did their whole life. The whole life was just copying scripture because that one would wear out, and they didn't. You know, they'd make another one. Okay, um, and at this time too, there was a shift from scrolls to pages to books that had, you know, a rectangular page with the advent of the printing press. Now you have the printing press. John Huss, Wycliffe, those people that I talked to you about last week that just got burned at the stake and got nowhere as far as reform. Um, The difference was their writings had to be hand copied and read by somebody that could read now all of a sudden you've got a printing press and 95, Luther's 95 theses went all over Germany. Okay? That's one particular element of, I think, why Luther, his arguments, which were the same faults he found he, that other people had, it took off. That was one reason. Printing press. Um, I might as well go ahead and give you the other two. I know you'll be in such suspense if I don't tell you what the other two are. Um, Second was the rise of nationalism, okay? 
um, nations were being formed out of clans or peoples, tribes, and it had, this has started um, also a hundred or more years earlier, but and it was gradual. But um, German Germans started seeing themselves as Germans in Germany, and there you know roughly you begin to settle into boundaries. The French that settles into boundaries. They're French, they're Italians, they're Spanish. They're, that wasn't much the case before. So now you have an Italian pope picking on our little boy Luther. He's a German. He hands off of him. So there, the rise of nationalism brought a natural reaction on the part of German people, especially the nobles and the people that had power, against, he's our monk. <laughs> we might not agree with everything he says, but he's ours. <laughs> and n no pope in Rome was going to put a price on his head, which they did. Um, and then I think one more thing, the increasing, you know, an incremental but, but steady decline of the church into even deeper corruption and abuse of power and so forth. So those three things all kind of came together in what we, to use a Bible term, in the fullness of time. And I think it was just, it was, the setting was right, okay? So <clears throat> he challenges to this debate and of course then you don't have the internet Al Gore had not invented it yet and so you don't have the internet you don't have roads to speak of that are worth anything um, it takes forever for a piece of mail to be delivered well I can't remember but it was months that it took for the 95 theses that Luther had written out to work its way to Rome and for the Pope to read it, okay? Um, needless to say, he didn't like it, okay? Um, and this was, who was it? Leo, I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's Pope Leo somebody, the, the 13th or whoever. Um, <clears throat> but at any rate, um, what touched Luther off, too? I need to mention this. And what really... Um, things just broke out into a blaze was a guy named Tetzel okay Tetzel was a German monk but he had been deputized by Rome to go throughout Germany and raise money so that St. Peter's Basilica, which of course is still there in Rome today, could be finished. I don't know, they'd been working on it for literally centuries. It wasn't done, they needed to raise more money, and so they sent Tetzel and other people to other countries, but they sent Tetzel on an indulgence-selling trip, okay? Remember indulgences. Indulgences, um, I won't get into all the background of it. They, got, they continued to get more openly just crass and mercenary, but it, they had now worked their way till, to indulgences. You could be forgiven for sins you hadn't yet committed, and you pay for those. 
okay? And Tetzel then went through all of Germany, went, through, went to every parish and so forth, and he had a little saying. I don't think it was a song, but it was this little saying. When into the coffer a coin doth ring, another soul from purgatory doth spring. Okay? So, you're, you know, put your coin in here, and grandma gets out 100 years earlier. You, you relieved her suffering. Okay? Now, um, when we were two summers ago, when we were, we went to Wittenberg, the city of Wittenberg, the university there. It's amazing. You know, around here, we'll say, man, that's a, that's a centenary farm or a ranch. That's 100 years. Um, we walked into cathedrals there that the foundations were started in the 800s. I mean, it just, now, somebody who loves history, you just kind of, you just stand there. And you think, my land, um, what all's gone on here? But they had, they had the, it wasn't a replica. It was actually, I don't know that it was specifically an indulgences coffer trunk, but it was a trunk from that period of time. And it was, it just looked like a, a, a wooden ancient trunk with a lid, big, hand-hammered blacksmith lock on it and a, a pretty good size kind of a iron cup that surrounded this slot and that was where you put you you put your coins went into the coffer a coin to throwing us another soul's purgatory of spring um, and so that sent luther off the you sent him off, okay? He found a drunk that night. A, one of his parish people <clears throat> was lying in the gutter or something, out cold drunk or nearly. Luther shook him, you know, to get him, and rebuked him, you know. <clears throat> what are you doing? He shows Luther his certificate that he had just purchased earlier that day that he was already forgiven. I mean, what a deal, you know? It's Wednesday. And so I'm, you know, for 20 bucks, I, I'm planning to tie, you know, tie one on Friday. And I give the priest, you know, 20 bucks tonight, I'm already forgiven for what I'm planning to do Friday. It's insane. Um, but that sent Luther just off the deep end. Then's when he wrote these 95 theses, he's had it. Um, it gets to Rome, it gets spread around, people start um, reading it, <clears throat> and here's how long it took. It was 1519, so it was um, a, from somewhere from a year and a half to two years before his writings got to Rome. Enough people read them. Pope went nuts. A lot of the fathers of the church and scholars of the church, you know, went crazy. And then the news got back to Luther that he had 60 days. This was a, 
It was called a papal bull, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with cattle. It's a, it's a papal command, all right? And so the Pope read, or wrote him a letter. You got 60 days from the receipt of this to recant all of the things you said in this 95 Theses um, or else. Well, yeah, we got enough time, I think. Luther, um, I don't know what to, how to describe Luther. He, Luther was probably a half a bubble off, okay? <laughs> um, he was just wild. Um, and to his discredit, a bit, not much, but a bit, he got worse the older he got. But he was just, well, he didn't, for instance, if you want to talk about diplomacy or whatever like that, don't ever use Luther and the word diplomacy and tact in the same sentence, okay? When he got this letter from the Pope, he publicly declared the Pope to be, quote, and wrote it, a fool and a maniac, okay? This is the leader of the Western civilization who could have you burned at the stake, okay? Then, here's what he does. We stood, we, we got to stand at the place. Um, he took this letter from the Pope, and we don't have any way to understand the, the riskiness of what Luther did. But he went out to what then, there's a great big tree there, huge tree. Um, I don't know, I can't remember if it said it was planted, how long ago it was planted. But it's this massive kind of an oak tree. And it, it is what was then the, just outside the gate of the, uh, and the wall of the city of Wittenberg was the, the dump. And so he led most of the student body of University of Wittenberg outside the wall to that spot and they built a nice bonfire, and he burned that letter from the Pope. Um, now, that's a really good way <laughs> um, to get on the bad side of someone who could burn you at the stake, okay? Um, well, <clears throat> word got back, of course, but in 1519, there was a guy by the name of Eck, uh, jo, Johannes or John Eck. Eck would be, what would Eck be? He would kind of be the, the chief scholar at the time, debater, uh, apologist, defender of the faith. Okay? And so Eck and Luther, they arranged a debate over those 95 theses. Um, when they got to the debate, Luther held, you know, I think Luther, everyone figures Luther held his own, but, but what happened to him was, um, again, looking at it through the lens of the church, the church cannot be wrong, it's always right, and their statements are correct, and they're straight from God. Eck got Luther grudgingly to admit that he held similar views to Wycliffe, who I mentioned last week, to John Huss, who got burned at the stake. And the church had officially declared them heretics. And 
somewhere to this day in the Roman Catholic Vatican files. I mean, it goes clear back to who knows where, but so-and-so is a heretic. Cannot, that means he can't go to heaven and was burned at the stake. Okay? Luther had to be honest, and he was. Very transparent, very blunt. Um, he agreed. Yeah, I agree with some of the very same, same things Huss believed. Well, he basically convicted himself because he admitted, I agree with the heretic who was burned at the stake and who's denied ever going to heaven. But he didn't have any other choice. So, they, then they decided, okay, we're, we're going to, Eck goes back to Rome, and they declare, they go about the business of an official statement that Luther is a heretic. And we're in, and he's gonna, we're going to burn him at the stake. <clears throat> in the meantime, Luther started writing all kinds of pamphlets and the printing press that he had. And they, they went all throughout Germany. Well, the German people got up in arms, again, got wider that, hey, this is, this is our, our little monk, and we're not going to put up with this. Um, and so they sided with him, and the Duke Frederick, um, <clears throat> who was over that portion, Saxony, of Germany at that time, also defended Luther. And the, the, here's, a, here's another thing kind of that was going on. The, the nobles, the kings, the dukes, the whatever their terms were, over these different little city-states, and some of them were no bigger than a big county, um, but everybody had some kind of a monarch or somebody. Um, they began to see themselves, I'm German. And yeah, they were Catholic, but I'm German. And so they began to side, they sided with Luther, and they said, so nothing that the Pope seemed to be able to do, they, would, they wouldn't cooperate with. The Pope sends letters, you turn him over to me, Duke Frederick wouldn't do it. So things were coming apart at the seams throughout the whole of really Europe. So um, they finally decided I'm less, we don't need to worry too much about this. But they finally decided, okay, here's what we'll do. Instead of the Pope, because the Pope was losing some of his credibility and power to the secular, or well, they weren't secular really, but the state kings. One of them was Charles V, okay? Charles V was over France, but he was also the Holy Roman Emperor, okay? Supposedly, he was the um, civil military arm of the Catholic Church. The Pope was the spiritual head, and there had been head-butting as to who, who was above the other. Um, did the Pope appoint the king or the emperor, Charles V? Did Charles V have power over the Pope? And so there was a tense lot going on there. But they decided, okay, Rome will send a bunch of representatives to Worms. It's, it's spelled Worms, but it's Worms. 
And the term was diet, D-I-E-T, which doesn't mean diet. It means a parliament, a, a governing body of representatives. Um, and uh, let me throw one other thing in. You had in that, you had some nobles and you had people, big landowners and stuff, but also you had people that were in these different, um, in Germany, in England, different places. They were called electors, okay? Uh, the electors, and Duke was, Frederick was one of them. Um, the electors were sprinkled all around. They were the ones that elected the, po or the Holy Roman Emperor, okay? Um, and they would negotiate back and forth with the, with the Pope as far as whether they were going to listen to him or not. So you have, again, a rising civil arm that was not taking quite orders like they used to. Um, well, Duke Frederick, who was protecting Luther, was an elector. So they finally agree, we'll bring Luther to technically neutral ground, except it really wasn't. But you'll go to um, stay in German territory, but you'll go to Charles V, and they'll have a big council and a trial and figure out what to do with Luther. So they go there, and I think I mentioned last week, they, when he showed up for this meeting, it was a number of days travel to get there, um, he walks into the, you know, the big hall in the palace and sees all of his li uh, writings, his books, his pamphlets that he'd been writing, all piled on a table. And the, they didn't have a trial. They basically just said, did you write these? He said, yes. They, they then said, um, they're judged to be heretical. Um, will you burn them or will burn you? So that it was supposed to be a hearing, a trial. It wasn't. Then they gave Luther overnight to think about it. Um, he comes back in the morning. And he makes his great statement, you know, I, I cannot go against the truth, um, and I, it's not right or healthy to go against your conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God, okay? Um, well, they had agreed to something called safe passage. There was a lot of people, a lot of Luther's friends said, don't even go there, because you know that they won't honor They'll, they'll, they'll take you right there and they'll probably burn you. Don't go. Well, so the Pope, they, they arranged for, quote, safe passage. In other words, no matter what the court finds, we'll let you go back home to Wittenberg free. We, we promise we don't do anything to you, okay? Well, not too many people believe that. But he went ahead, he gets in the wagon, and he starts home, and he doesn't go very far. Luther knows nothing about this. Duke Frederick had arranged for a whole bunch of, you know, with the chain mail, you know, armor and everything else, and the, the big perchering horses and all that, and the lances and all this business, to just come out of the woods somewhere not too far after he left Worms, they just come out and they grab Luther 
and kidnap him. It looked like he was kidnapped. They, in fact, people figured the Pope, the Pope did this. Well, Frederick had planned the whole thing, and they caught him, and they took him off to, it's a place that's still there, um, Wartburg Castle. It's extremely remote. You can go there today, but you have to literally... <laughs> You have to, it's a, it's a donkey or a mule ride a ways. And then there's kind of a hand-worked um, gondola thing to get you up to this impossible hill where this Wartburg Castle is. Um, so they, they hid him there. Nobody knew where he was at. Um, and while he was, he was there a little over a year, um, they sort of gave up at least the immediate chase of trying to find him. While he was there, um, <clears throat> did a lot more studying, did a lot more reading. He, he did a horrible thing while he was there. He translated the New Testament into German. And his statement was, he says, I want every plowboy meaning just whoever, to be able to read God's word in his own language. Well, that was a further punishable, that was a heresy. If you put the language out of the Latin into the vernacular, that was considered heretical. So, you know, he was, he was going to get burned a couple times. Um, meanwhile, well, I better get back to my notes or we'll get too far off here. Um, <clears throat> They, well, Leo X, that's, that's who the Pope was. In, in, um, in June of 1520, so this is a year after he had disappeared um, from the 2019 debate and all that stuff, um, and he was holed up in this Wartburg castle, they officially excommunicated him, okay? And in addition to excommunicating him, which consigns him to hell, kicks him out of the church, can't take communion. Um, they also, Pope Leo put a price on his head so that, you know, bounty hunters. Anybody finds Luther? And it was a bunch of money. Um, so this happened in early um, January 1521. Um, and so anyway... We end up with, um, by this time, real ferment in Germany against the Catholic Church, against the Pope. Um, Luther, quite a few things he wrote on and decided and so forth, now that he had been excommunicated, and there was an open split. He changed his mind, and I, gotta, I can't remember, don't know if I wrote this down, um, but he decided also against just a bunch of stuff. He saw no reason for um, celibacy of the, of the priesthood. I mean, he, his point was, hey, Peter, who's supposed to be the first pope, had a wife. Um, and Paul said, we, we have a right to be married. So the idea of celibacy, he said, was another concoction. And um, he ends up getting married to an ex 
None. Okay. Um, continues to write. Um, ends up to, to kind of basically for the next, we could say, 20 years. A little more than 20 years. Um, he never left Saxony because the price was still on his head. Anybody could have turned him in, got the money. So he lived somewhat, um, you know, limited. As the Reformation continued to just ripple through Germany, Scandinavia, Switzerland, Luther began to be a little bit out of the picture, mostly because he couldn't travel. There were all kinds of meetings that they would have, and he couldn't go to them because, you know, he had this price on his head. So he, he, he began to kind of lose some of his grip, if you want to call it, because he was the reformer. Everybody else kind of followed in his train. But he, he ended up losing some influence. A second thing happened, and you know, this is, um, it's interesting, whether it's the Reformation, it's the American Revolution. Um, George Washington had to end up after the American Revolution arming, taking the army, and going after citizens over what was called the Whiskey Rebellion. And here's the problem. You can't have no government and no authority. When the problem isn't just authority, it's the misuse of it. And when you cast aside a dictator, you know, a despot of some kind, or a corrupt government, you can't not replace it with some other kind of authority. And with that, you, you are guaranteeing that how many ever generations that form of government you set up is one day probably going to be need to overthrow. Okay? So, same thing happens here. Luther, uh, while he was still holed up in the Wartburg Castle, began to get word that people in Wittenberg, where, of course, he was a teacher for however long, they had trashed the cathedral. They'd gone in, knocked, out, knocked down, you know, statues of Mary and the saints and all this, and trashed the place. Um, and Luther was furious because he, you know, he said, you're bringing reproach on everything we're trying to say. You're ruining everything. Um, when he finally comes back, there were some of his pretty stalwart friends that he literally, he, well, they, there's two movies been made about Luther. One's pretty modern. One's an old black and white one. Um, in the old black and white one, they, I think they're probably a little more accurate. He was, Luther was, boy, he was rough and blunt and would cut you off. And one of his longtime supporters and friends who stuck his neck on could have been burned at the stake himself, a guy named Karlstadt. He, Luther just ordered him, says, don't get out of my sight. I won't ever see you again as long as you live. Because he had led these, he'd led these lay people in tearing down, tearing out the everything in the cathedrals. Um, so Luther ended up then in the unenviable position of trying to rein back in what was a legitimate revolt that got carried away. Along with that, remember, there's no separation between church and state. It's all the same. The society is totally dominated, shot through with we're Catholics in every way, okay? Well, the peasants 
were cheering Luther on. They were the ones who got out from underneath a lot of the heavy burdens of you got to pay for this, you got to pay to get your sins forgiven, you got to pay to light a candle, to your grandma out of purgatory, you got, you know, all of this. They then, the, they had what, hap what happened in 7, or 9, 15, 1525 was what they called the Peasants' Revolt. Okay? The Peasants' thinking Luther had kind of endorsed throwing off the feudal system where you have the lord of the manor and all these poor indentured servants working for him. Um, they figured, you know, we told Pope off and, and we're getting rid of the archbishops and all this. And so um, they were downtrodden people. Um, and, you know, the, it's, it's the typical... Um, you know, the manor house and riches and just dirt poor tenants that lived and farmed the property. Um, well, it was a bloody, they think, the estimate is, the, the peasants would attack the manor houses and, you know, kill the Lord and his whole family and whatever. Well, Luther, and I don't want, I don't know what else he could have done, but Luther ended up shifting. Here, here's what he got caught in. <laughs> Somewhat political. The nobles had backed him and protected him from the long, long arm of the Pope. So he owed the nobles. The peasants, of course, he loved and he preached to them. But when push came to shove, he knew what the peasants were doing was over the top and unwarranted. He knew the nobles he owed his life to, so he sided with the nobles. And he wrote a mass letter that you peasants knock it off. And you nobles, if they don't knock it off, you have the right to put it down violently. Well, the estimate is that 100,000 peasants ultimately end up losing their lives with this rebellion being put down, okay? Well, Luther lost some uh, luster that he never regained to a certain degree. People thought some of the peasants, you betrayed us, you're a heretic, maybe you are a heretic, <laughs> you know. Maybe we ought to turn you over to the Pope and get burned at the stake. Um, that kind of hurt um, Luther. And then probably uh, maybe one more thing was Luther began to be, he was, he was just rough as a cob to start with, but he gradually began to be uh, harsher. Um, now, it wasn't like he was a total embarrassment and, you know, whatever, but he just, as he aged, who knows what all was going on with him, but he was just brittle, harsh, cutting, denounced anybody that his enemies um, and his friends more and more were begging him you know kind of mellow out here you know um, you're hurting your case and our case <clears throat> meanwhile as the protestant more and more people broke away from the catholic church they kind of came to an understanding that, okay, throughout Europe, especially Germany and uh, Spain and, you know, wherever else, what are they going to be? Protestant, 
which then was, nothing, was Lutheran. There was just Lutheran and Catholic. You follow Luther or you're the Catholics. Well, they determined that, okay, whichever the king is or the duke is or whoever, that's what you got to be. So Duke Frederick, for instance, he's a Lutheran, so they're all Lutherans in Saxony. Um, the next guy over might have been a Catholic. So in his county, or whatever you call it, province, they're all Catholics. Lutherans, Lutherans get their churches burned. Um, there was more burning at the stake and slaughter on both sides during these years. Um, and, of course, I don't know what life expectancy was, but it isn't what it is today. So the, the dukes and the lords were always dying, and they could have a kid then, you know, who's 22, and he's, he's going to be a Catholic. Okay, the whole place is now Catholic. So all the Lutherans go underground. And then he drops dead of the plague three years later, and his brother or his uncle comes, and he's a Lutheran. So that's the kind of just mayhem that reigned, okay? Um <clears throat> Luther then, um, Luther passes away in 15, um, 1546, and he left a guy, he had a protege, he had, he had a guy that he was a mentor to, his name was Philip Melanchthon. And Melanchthon, interestingly, which kind of makes some sense, Melanchthon was opposite of Luther. He's very tactful, very stable, level-headed, very scholarly, Luther was too, but, but Melanchthon was a man of peace. But it's interesting how the two kind of came down. Um, Luther, and Luther was a little frustrated with Melanchthon because still back when he was holed up in the cathedral, he'd hear that Melanchthon kind of went soft on something. And, you know, he should have dug in his heels and whacked him on the side of the head. Uh, so he would write letters to Melanchthon to, come on, Buck up here. You know, man up. Um, and so they never really got separated, but Luther felt, you know, that man, if I leave things in Melanchthon's hands, I, you know, he, he'll, he'll be a Neville Chamberlain. Okay? Um, and there are two sayings that both those guys made. Um, and I like Luther's statement. Luther said... I will sacrifice unity and peace, getting along, in favor of good doctrine. Melanchthon said, I will sacrifice some doctrinal issues in order to keep the peace, in order to keep unity. That you see how opposite their thinking was. Interestingly too, as the Reformation spread through Europe, and there were all kinds of, again, remember, you've got these states, these provinces, and whatever the king was, the people had to be. Well, you had then other reformers. Now, it wasn't just Luther. There was a guy named Zwingli. There was, um, well, a guy named Menno Simons. Mennonites came from him. Um, um, a guy named Hooter, Hutterites came from him. You just have 
guys cropping up. Again, it's pretty regional. You don't have communication. So, man, right, right, Wyoming might as well be 500 miles away. And we just do our own thing here in Gillette, and we don't, they, yeah, we've heard of right, but, you know. Um, so, it's just a mess, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but other reformers rose up, and here's the language that's used. There was, a, there was a Swedish, a Dutch, a Denmark, you know, or Scandinavian Reformation. Swedish Reformation, Switzerland Reformation, French um, uh, Reformation, England Reformation. You end up with the Anglican Church, partially because Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, Pope wouldn't give him one. So he said, okay, I'll make a new church. And you're not it, you're not it. Um, and then he made the Archbishop of Canterbury be really the counterpart to the Pope, and the Archbishop of Canterbury says, yeah, you can divorce her. So um, that's the kind of stuff that is, is, to me it's fascinating, but it's, it's just a mess, <laughs> okay? It's somebody described, you know, some of these kinds of things at a massive explosion at the paint factory, okay? So it's just different colors all over everywhere. Um, that's the picture that followed Luther's death, um, and that's what we'll look at, um, and we've got to separate all those out. Um, but it was a fruit of... of um, in one sense, unavoidable necessity of taking down the authority that was being abused in the Roman Catholic Church. But the aftermath, in some ways, I'll just finish with this. The Catholics always warned, you let lay people have a Bible that they can read. They'll form their own ideas. We'll lose power over them. We can't force them to believe every single doctrine. And you'll end up with if you don't stick to the Pope and a centralized government, you're going to end up with a thousand different denominations. Yeah, now we got 40,000. So the Catholics were right in one sense because now it's every man doeth that which is right in his own eyes. The Lord told me. And you don't have any right, seems, um, to say, no, the Lord didn't tell you that because it's crazy. Um, it, it, it's, it's every man for himself. And so some of the things that Catholicism warned came true with you know, Protestantism. But anyway, um, we'll get into all those different groups um, next week. And those different groups can be identified even under different names, but they can be identified all through the United States and all the denominations we have today. You can trace them right back to Germany, uh, Hungary, you know, the Netherlands, all the, these European countries. Okay, well, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for enabling us to be here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for how you have, in spite of all kinds of stuff, you've shepherded and kept your word alive and your truth alive um, 
so that we can, we can find it yet today, and it's here, we have your word, and so you're still, over all the chaos, you're still God. Go with us, we pray tonight, and give us safety in our travels. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, you are dismissed.